Hello, I'm Daniel. This is my podcast, Sharpening the Mind. I am a meditation teacher and also a labor activist in Kansas City, Missouri. I teach classes in meditation and Buddhism at the Rime Buddhist Center, as well as a few other places. Thank you for listening and have a great day. Hello, I'm going to talk about changes today. Changes. Have you ever had this experience in life where you view things a certain way and then your perspective just shifts and you see things totally differently? That's maybe not totally differently, but differently. That's that's what I want to talk about today because I sort of experienced a shift like that myself. And I think that it's part of the human condition and we can experience shifts like this where our perspective changes and just things seem different because our perspective changed because we were willing and open to see things in a new way. And I sort of think at at some point during the pandemic, I started meditating every day, which uh, historically I've not, I've set that intention before, but I've not really done it. I've always had, even at my best, I've had a day off here and there, but at some point in the pandemic, I started doing it. I got this beautiful white Buddha statue in my living room and I go and I sit, I, I usually sit first thing in the morning. Some, um, a couple times something has happened to cause me to miss that. And it, that can be missed, especially on the weekend. But when I do miss it, I do pick it up later. So um, I wanted to tell you that because I think that that practice of meditating every day has brought some interesting clarity to me where there wasn't as much clarity before. And it's sort of made me see things a little, little differently. And especially it's helped me to uh, put down some stuff I was really holding on to. And that's that's important. We need to put down the things that don't serve us rather than carrying them around like they're important. So that is what I'm thinking about today. But now I'm going to just talk about um, some of my own views of myself and views of my role, I guess, that I am seeing in a kind of a different way now. And I'm going to start by telling a story. In, in 2017, uh, one of my teachers, Lama Chuck, Lama Chuck Stanford, he retired from teaching, from leading the Remay Center and teaching at the Remay Center. He retired. So, and he since then has moved away because like none of his grandkids, none of his kids live here. But anyway, he I call him one of my teachers, but I don't think he ever liked me very much. But that being said, um, he retired and someone else took over, someone named Matt. And when he retired, he said something that didn't mean anything at all to me at the time. But it's jumping out to me now. You see, his replacement, Matt... um, at the time, he didn't know if he should call himself a llama or not, or at least it seemed like he didn't know if he should call himself a llama or not. And Llama Chuck, who has no issues taking that title, right, told told Matt he should. And in front of everyone, Chuck publicly said, 
this is what my teacher told me. If you're doing the work of a llama, then you are a llama. So you are llama mat because you're running the Rime Center. That's the work of a llama. And um, in that moment, Matt became llama mat, I think. That was, I think, meaningful to him, but who knows, of course. But titles. Um, I could talk a lot about titles in Buddhism. Uh, what is and is not a llama, what is and is not a, a Roshi or Zen master, but I don't want to do that right now. But but suffice to say, there's some debate about who can and can't call themselves a llama. Um, and that's what I wanted to say here. But I'm not talking, I'm not here to talk about llama uh, Matt and llama Chuck. Maybe at some point I will, but not not right now. I just want to talk about how enormously meaningful that quote is to me. Because I feel it's reversible. If you're not doing the work, then you're not. Okay? Um, so someone who is not doing the work of a llama maybe shouldn't use that title. And that's also true. Someone who's not doing the work of a Zen priest should not use that title because you're not doing, you're not doing anything. And that may be controversial. Some people might not like that, but that's sort of how I feel. And in the same way, outside of Buddhism, what are some ways we could talk about this? Not doing the work of, um, maybe a parent who's totally absent is not doing the work of a dad or mom or parents. So they're not one. Hmm. That's, I don't know. I don't know. Um, I've seen that thing like anybody can father a child. Anybody can be a dad. You can only be a father if you show up or some some version of that, right? And so I think of that. I think I think of um, showing up. So uh, if you're not doing the work of a llama, you're not a llama. But if you are, you are. Um, 20 years ago, I first started exploring Buddhism. I started studying and practicing without the support of a community. I had given up the religion of my family. And at first I was one of those annoying um, anti-religion people that judges religious people. Um, and I thankfully I evolved from that pretty quickly and I found Buddhism and it just felt right to me. It just felt right to me. I don't know. I didn't know then and I don't know now if I believe in like karma or fate or past lives. Um, although my view of things like that has softened in recent years, especially in the last year or so. So, so um, when I started learning about Buddhism, I can just say it felt like something that was already a part of me, like I was supposed to find it. It really felt that way to me. So in that sense, I think karma and past lives, and I don't know, but maybe I just have um, a certain disposition that makes it meaningful to me. I don't know. But I practiced it by myself for nine years. I'm not by nature a very social person. I don't really have close friends. And the truth is, it's hard for me to feel like I belong anywhere. And I know this is true of many people, right? So joining the community really scared me. Joining, even visiting a community kind of scared me. 
The truth is that I still don't really know how to fit into one. But back then, my my anxiety and my fears kept me away. My anxiety and my fears kept me away. So joining a community scared me. And that's really unfortunate because I lived in, I was going to college at KU, which means I lived, and I lived in Lawrence, Kansas. So I lived in a city that had, that has a Zen center. And I didn't, I didn't go there. I didn't connect with those people until I didn't live there. Um, and I think of how my journey could have gone differently, but at the same time, maybe, maybe I wasn't ready anyway. And my journey had to evolve the way it did. Hmm. 11 years ago, I joined the Remay Center. The Remay Center is a non-sectarian Buddhist community, um, in the Tibetan tradition or in the Vajrayana tradition. And... I joined it. It was at the time the biggest Buddhist community in Kansas City. I think it still is, but I'm not 100% certain of that at the moment. But if it's not, it will be again. But I was reluctant at first because I had studied the various branches of Buddhism and I thought some of the trappings of Tibetan Buddhism were silly. And really, in my head, somehow I had this idea that I really wanted to practice Zen Buddhism because those books were the books that were my favorites. But the truth is I didn't, I didn't know what I wanted. I realize that now, but at that time I really wished there was a Zen temple in Kansas city and there still isn't, even though Kansas city is a pretty big city. So I became part of that community, the Remay center. Uh, non-sectarian means open to various traditions and various ideas. That's what that means. So in fact, some teachings are taught there from all the different traditions of Buddhism. They are. So that non-sectarian, that openness, that, that appealed to me and it still does. It still does. And that's um, not to jump ahead too much, but the Remay Center is my spiritual community. It was, and it, and it is, again, and it wasn't for a little while, but it is. It is where I should be practicing, and it's where I belong. So, um, that being said, moving along, I became a part of that community, and I enjoyed practicing Buddhism with others, and I was glad to be there. I felt like I was part of something. I didn't have any, again, I, I didn't have close friends, but I didn't have any Buddhist friends. And I went there and I met other Buddhists and that was really meaningful to me. And, you know, there's this ongoing debate people have. I don't know how loud the debate is, but there's this debate. People say, you can, you can have Buddhist communities online. You can practice on the internet and not meet other Buddhists. And um, I don't want to be really negative about that, but I do want to say, man, something's missing online, at least for me. Something something is missing when you're just practicing with your friends on your computer screen or your phone. Something's missing. And I don't know how to define that. I don't know what that is. And some of that is maybe generational. I'm generation X. I don't I don't um 
I don't understand building really close friendships on the internet. I, I don't. And that, again, that could be generational because younger people than me seem to be doing it just fine. But uh, in that sense, uh, there's this debate about can you have a spiritual community online? And I don't, to me, something's important is missing. But I'll put that aside. And, uh, I, and I think I'm, um, that said, I think my view is, is losing. That is, um, we're going to see in this next generation, Buddhist teachers that have never met other Buddhists in real life. We're going to see that very soon. We're seeing that start to emerge already. And it just, to, again, to me, something's missing. I don't want to necessarily crap all over that, but to me, something is missing. So, so in my view, I said all of that to say, in my view, a community that is present where you live is better than an online community. In la um, even if the online community is more in line with what you want to teach and practice and learn, still in person, that personal connection, maybe better than is not, is not good, a good phrase to use, but just that personal connection, meeting people, making friends with Buddhists, I think is, is an aspect of Buddhism that we should not throw away. Um, and that being said, also, I want to say, um, joining an online spiritual community because there's no communities around you is different than joining one because you have anxiety about talking to people. And again, I get it. I have anxiety about talking to people. And I resisted for a long time. But anyway, um, back to my story. I felt like I was part of something. And that was meaningful to me. And I started volunteering in the children's program, uh, which they called the Dharma School. And it's like a Sunday school that happens during the temple service. So parents can drop off their kids and their kids learn something about Buddhism while they're at the Sunday service. So I um, started volunteering in that capacity and I ended up running it, not really because I earned it or anything, but really because everybody else left. That is uh, how people succeed sometimes, I think. So um, I took refuge vows at the Remay Center and I got a Buddhist name, which was Kelsang Dakpa, which means fame and fortune. And... I also took uh, Prati Moksha and Bodhisattva vows. So I took all the vows available. I went up, went up in vows. That's not a thing. But anyway, I took all, I took these vows to to dedicate my life to Buddhism, to help others whenever I can, to really take all this seriously because to me it is serious. People ask that question: Is Buddhism a religion or not? Which is um. I think the question's ridiculous. I think it is not a good use of your time to reflect on that question, but because you can only really get more confused. But um, to me, it's a, a religion because we're supposed to take it very seriously. But I know some people would argue like, no, it's a philosophy or whatever, whatever. I think it's not an interesting question, but because um, religion's a loaded word. But anyway, vows are serious things and they shouldn't be taken or given lightly. And I may talk about vows at some point, um, but not right now. But I started 
to write about Buddhism too on the internet. I didn't present myself as an expert, just as a sincere practitioner. I like to write, and it's the reason I got an English degree in college is because I like to write. And so anyway, I was practicing at the Remay Center in that period, and 10 years ago, I connected with a Zen teacher with, he was an aspiring Zen teacher, but I, I didn't know that at the time, but he found me because of my association, association with the Remay Center. And he wanted to convince me that, okay, he was looking for students and he convinced me that someone could become a Zen monk without changing their life very much. He convinced me of that. And um, in that organization, they used the title monk, which every other organization says Zen priest instead because uh, that I know of because a uh, monk, gosh, we're getting in the weeds now, but in a Buddhist context, a monk is generally one who um, lives in a monastery, doesn't have a family, doesn't, their job is monk. They don't have a job. And a priest would be like a lay clergy member, like a person who has a, like a pastor, right? So, so someone who has a family, has a home, has that this is maybe not their full-time job because they have another job as well. Um, so anyway, he, he used the word monk for that, which most communities don't. And people get real confused because that, that group does that, but So two things are at play here. A few things are at play here. One is this, this person shows up to me and wants me to be his student. And that felt nice. That felt like getting chosen first in sports as a kid or something, which never happened for me. Um, and I was inspired. Why did I think about being a Zen monk? Why well, had just, I had read some books that really inspired me, and they are Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind by Shunryu Suzuki, Hardcore Zen by Brad Warner, and The Way of Zen by Alan Watts. And reading those books just made me think, oh, the Zen path is the path for me. And I thought, oh, well, maybe I can practice at the Remay Center, but also be doing this Zen teacher training with this with this guy, right? That's what I thought I could do. I could have the Remay Center for community because this guy didn't really have a community and he, I think didn't figure out how to build one and he stopped trying, I think, but I don't know. But I was, so I was convinced I could one become this thing without changing my life much. And two, that I should do that. And to give him the benefit of the doubt, I'm sure he would say he didn't mean to convince me to do anything and that he just presented an opportunity to me or something. But but I became convinced of those two things. And I can think now, why? Why? I don't okay. Well, I'll get I'll get to that later. But I went to I went through the Zen monk training that they have, such as it was, and I took the vows to become a monk in that tradition. Um it was online. It was online teacher training. I can't say it was incredibly rigorous, but I can say I learned a lot. I can say I learned a lot, but it was like, it was nothing. Okay. It, it 
wasn't incredibly rigorous. That's all. That's all I'll say. It didn't seem rigorous to me, but um, after a while, some of the things about this organization and this teacher, who I'm not going to name here, didn't feel quite right, and. He suddenly changed the rules on me one day and I knew it was time to leave. Not just because I already had weird feelings, but because the rules suddenly changed. He he said, we're going to start expecting monks to wear robes all the time. And I knew I was not going to do that. He had convinced me on the pretext I wouldn't have to change my life very much. And like literally wearing robes all the time, that's not something I wanted to do. So um, I pushed back on that and I left the organization. And... The truth is that that rule, I don't even know if they fully implemented it, but it's not part of that organization now. So, I mean, maybe I left for a reason, though. Maybe things happen for a reason. I I think that happened for a reason. There wasn't much of a community anyway, and I had not quit going to the Remay Center during that time. I don't think he's running a community at all now, but I could be wrong. I could be wrong. I still had this idea. And I, I I was excited at the prospect of a Zen temple in Kansas City, which he was at a, t- at a point trying to establish, but it didn't go where he needed it to. But I still had this idea planted in me. I wanted to be a Zen priest. And so I was trying to figure out a way I could do that. I found some teachers on the internet that were willing and maybe even eager to vouch for me, which is, it's, it's a weird thing, but that was what I wanted to do. So what I tried to do, and that's reflecting on that now, I think online connections aren't that meaningful to me. So why would I even make that effort? But the truth is, I'm not doing the work of a Zen priest or Zen monk, so I'm not one. And one day during the pandemic, I realized that, like, I have this this idea in my head that at some point I'm going to make this thing happen, but do I even want it to? I don't know. I'm not doing Zen rituals for anyone. I'm not serving a Zen community. And that's what a Zen priest does. I don't have any students that are learning from me. So, and that's, that's okay. I'm not sad about that. I'm not expressing that. I'm not lamenting right now. And I think it's the same with the word Dharma teacher, which is sometimes used in Buddhism. And I've used that at times to describe myself. But again, I don't have students. I'm not doing the work of a Dharma teacher. I'm a speaker and a writer who's interested in Buddhism, but I'm not teaching anyone really like People can read my work and watch my videos. But to me, that's that's below the level of teacher and below the level of priest, too. And the truth is, I'm not even I'm not teaching Zen teachings. I'm teaching teaching the teachings I like to talk about. And some of those are Zen teachings and some of those are Tibetan teachings. I, the truth is, I 
in person, I trained as a Zen monk for about approximately a year. But I studied Buddhism at the Rime Center. I studied and taught Buddhism at the Rime Center for seven to eight years. Seven to eight years. Like that is... I can say I got something from that Zen teacher training, but I spent a lot of time studying at the Rime Center, taking classes and going on retreats and meeting with teachers. And that's where my real training was, I think. So like thinking of myself as a Zen teacher or anything of the sort is, um, it doesn't, that doesn't seem to fit me in my view anymore. And I really reflected on that in in the pandemic during the really bad part when there was a lot of uncertainty which was i guess a lot of it but at a certain point in the pandemic i was struggling and my mind just turned to those bodhisattva teachings not to the zen teachings to the bodhisattva teachings that i learned at the rime center i went through really studying the Lojong teachings and the 37 practices of a Bodhisattva and Shanti Deva's way of the Bodhisattva. And I couldn't stop thinking about these teachings and studying them and putting them into practice. And that's what helped me. That's what helped me that. And I've built a built, I've established a statue garden in my backyard of Buddhist statues and just clearing the area for them and setting them up and offering incense to them. Like that has been enormously meaningful to me. And I didn't think that would happen. I don't, I've historically not seen myself as a devotional Buddhist and that's sort of, those are devotional things, but I'm connecting with doing that. Like doing that has helped me and transformed me. So I'm more of a devotional Buddhist than I was in the past. And um, the truth is that Tibetan Buddhism has more, has room for devotional Buddhism, devotional practices, and uh, Zen less so. And Tibetan Buddhism has room for compassion, heart-centered teachings, and Zen has room for those too, but less. Less. Um, and heart-centered teachings are really where where my heart has led me. Um, so I'm thinking of those teachings a lot more than I'm thinking of the Zen teachings. Even though the Zen teachings were my favorites in the beginning, I'm thinking more of the great depth of Tibetan teachings and especially Tibetan Mahayana, the um, great vehicle teachings. And maybe I'll talk at some point about the difference between Mahayana and Vajrayana. I don't know that that's interesting to a lot of people, but I'm not going to go into it here. But Lama Matt gave me the title Gigan, Gigan, which means teacher or tutor in Tibetan, Gigan. And I felt incredibly honored when he gave me that title. It's the word that gets applied to lay teachers. And that is what I was when I was teaching at the Rime Center. I was a lay teacher. And although I now am in a position where I feel more connected to that title than I do to Zen priest, I can't 
in good conscience use it because I'm not doing the work of a gigan. I'm not teaching. That would be teaching Buddhism, which I'm interested in doing, but I'm not doing that. And in my opinion, a teacher without students is not a teacher. And I, I don't know if I'll have the opportunity to teach Buddhism again. Um, I have sort of tried to create my own opportunities and it hasn't worked out for me. Um, and although I'm, I'm going to the Rime Center again as a member, I don't, um, I'm, I'm open to possibilities, but I'm also not going to try to make things happen there. That's a good way to put it. I'm open to possibilities, but I'm not going to try to make things happen. So what work am I doing? Occasionally I do teach meditation. I'm doing the work of a meditation teacher. So I'm a meditation teacher. I taught at a local library recently, and that was really meaningful to me. And not too long ago, I taught at a store called Aquarius, Kansas City. It's a Aquarius KC. It's a, a spiritual store. They sell incense and statues and books and things. And so I taught there. So in those two contexts, I've taught meditation in the recent future. I believe that just about anyone can teach other people how to meditate. We tend to think there's some great secret to it, but there's not. Um, you've just got to be able to speak with confidence on it when you teach it, I think, and able to answer questions. So, and I, I'm thoroughly able to do both of those things. I'm also a speaker and a writer. I'm speaking right now and I'm comfortable, comfortable saying I am those things. I probably have more, I may have more in common with Alan Watts than I do with Thich Nhat Hanh, if I'm honest. And that means, you know, just speaking and commenting and that's enough. And I'm trying to do the work of a bodhisattva. I'm studying and practicing and cultivating virtue. I'm not going to say I'm a bodhisattva, but because that feels bigger than me, but I will say I'm an aspiring, aspiring bodhisattva. I'm aspiring to help the people around me and to make the world a better place. And I, you know, um, for the first time, I'm able to do that as part of my job too. And that's really great. I'm a union steward, so I help mistreated workers workers, and I'm a leader in the, in our union. And that so it's good in my day job. I can feel like I'm doing good in the world, helping helping people that maybe are having trouble helping themselves. So um, that's it. I wanted to be a Zen priest for a while, and I told people this, and I have robes and everything, and it's a weird thing and a little embarrassing to even look back on that now. It's and it's um, blaming's not the right thing, but just to say that. That idea was planted in my head by that guy, and it just, I held on to it for a long time. And it's only, I feel like the clarity of my meditation practice has helped me realize, like, that's not, that's not me. I do, though, I do an open, to where, open awareness practice, which is essentially the same as Zazen. Um, but I can't call myself a Zen teacher or anything of the sort. I met some really wise teachers, like, Dosho Port and Manhei, and this really should have confirmed for me that that's not 
that's not who I am. That's not where I'm going. I'm nowhere near being a Zen teacher. Dosho Port and Mon- Monhe are Zen teachers and really good at what they do. And that's not me. The truth is I trained with one Zen teacher for a pretty short time. And then I studied with some teachers on the internet and I really wanted to be able to make that more than it was, but emailing back and forth with the teacher isn't the same as training with them, no matter how much you do it and no matter how much they encourage you and they tell you it is. I hope it doesn't offend anyone that I said that. There are organizations out there that function entirely on this premise. I see that in the modern world, people are out there trying to have not only teachers, but also whole spiritual communities exist online. And I don't know how that works for anyone, but it doesn't work for me. I had... A lot more training at the Remay Center or ran the youth program and I went on dozens of retreats with various teachers and I took many, many classes. And so really I'm closer to, if I'm honest, I'm closer to a Remay Buddhist with a Zen influence than I am to a Zen Buddhist. And that's just became very clear to me now. Maybe I just wanted to be cool and different from the Buddhists around me. I don't know. Maybe I wanted to think, oh, these people, they believe in spirits and magic. I don't because I'm a Zen Buddhist. I don't believe in spirits and magic. Um, maybe I had that kind of that kind of view. We look for ways to feel like we're above other people. And we do that even in spirituality. Um, some would argue, especially in spirituality. I don't know. But we, yeah, we do that. We tell ourselves things about ourselves. We're usually either trying to lift ourselves up or trying to put ourselves down, but we're, we're not clear normally. And so, like I said, when the pandemic hit and I was struggling with all that uncertainty and isolation, it wasn't the Zen teachings that helped me get through it. It was all those teachings I learned at the Remay Center. And now, um, Shanti Deva's way of the Bodhisattva has turned out to be the guide to my life. I used to study the teachings while at the same time thinking I was, that there were better teachings out there and I was above them or something, but I was so deluded. And, you know, I stopped going to the Remay Center three years ago. And when the pandemic started to lift and when they were available for in-person things, which like many temples and churches, they weren't for a while. Um, I decided to go back. I can have a fresh start. It's been closed down because of the pandemic. Um, It's in a new location. And it felt just like going home, even though it's a new space. I still want to teach people about Buddhism. But I'm not sure if that's an opportunity that will present itself in my life ever again. And it's not something I'm going to try to force. So... I'm not doing the work of a Zen priest or a Gigan, at least not right now, and that's okay. But I'll keep doing the work of an aspiring bodhisattva. I'm thinking about ways to do good in the world and to be more mindful and to help others. And that's what life is about, and that's what I want to do. And... 
like I said, I'm trying to do bodhisattva action in my job as a union representative. Um, I don't want to make that sound like more than it is, but I'm trying to listen hard and to fight for people who need someone in their corner. And that is enormously meaningful. To me, that is the great bodhisattva action of putting some good into the world. And I have now, at this time in my life, I have a wife. I got married in September. Um, so actually, it'll, it'll be a year soon. And I have four kids. And I have a garden full of Buddha statues in my backyard because I've slowly grown more devotional in my practice. And I never thought that would happen. I was sort of a, a really secular-leaning, Zen-inspired person. And now I'm, I've shifted. And I don't know what the future holds for me, but I know I'm letting go of things that don't serve me and don't seem to be part of my journey. So um, I'm sorry for giving an entire episode that's such a life update, um, but I wanted to because just because things have been changing, and I know things have been changing in my podcast, and it's because I'm inspired by different things. I'm I'm a Rime Buddhist. I'm a non-sectarian Mahayana Buddhist, and that's an okay thing to be, I think. So thank you for taking the time to listen, and I hope you're not bored. And expect more bodhisattva teachings from me. And let, I'm still some Zen teachings, but expect more talking about bodhisattva teachings from me, because that's what I'm interested in. Um, and that's it. I will talk to you soon. Thank you for listening and have a good day.